video, right? That was awesome. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship once again. My name is um, Tracy Bianchi, and it is my joy to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And we get to spend this Sunday launching a six-week series, a six-week journey through the book of Ephesians. I don't know uh, how many of you have ever read Ephesians. It's totally okay if you haven't. I know that any given Sunday at church, we've got folks who've been reading the Bible since they could learn to read, and we've got folks who've stepped into a church for the very first time in their life. And so wherever you find yourself along that spectrum, uh, it is our great joy to begin uh, this six-week journey together. And you're going to find out in just a bit more about what the book of Ephesians is and uh, who is Paul, who happens to be the guy that wrote it, and why what is said in that letter matters for us today. And the reason we can read ancient words of scripture and still find truths for our lives in them is because the reality is the human experience hasn't really changed all that much. Yes, the details have changed. We are on the other side of the Industrial Revolution. We're in the throes of the digital revolution. We drive cars, we fly in planes, things that the early writers of Scripture could never have imagined. But what it means to be human and what we ache over and what we long for hasn't changed all that much since the beginning of human history. Earlier uh, this week, I was trying really hard to uh, feel smart, so I started reading some Virginia Woolf. I don't know if any of you have ever read Virginia Woolf. I am not smart enough to understand <laughs> Virginia Woolf. And she has a book called The Waves, and I was trying to understand it. It follows the life of six different characters from their early childhood days throughout their lives and on into the death and the passing of some of them. And there's a character in the book, a chatty, um, vivacious guy named Bernard, who tries very hard to begin to understand his life as he hits middle age, which again is probably pretty typical for the human experience. And he says this about aging. He says, somewhere along the way, as we age, he says, a shell begins to form around the soft soul, narcuous, shiny, hard, upon which sensations tap with their beaks, but can't quite break in. And the reality of the human experience is that throughout our lives, things happen to us that harden our shells, and they harden our souls. And sometimes this happens in a toddler who suffered a tragedy. And sometimes we can remain soft, pliable souls until we're well into our 90s. But along the way, unless we have a community of people to gather with and a safe place to process what the God of the universe has to say about any of the things we struggle with, we will find ourselves hardening over time. Throughout all of human history, people have asked basically the same questions. Am I okay? Am I loved? Am I going to make it? How long am I going to feel poor, persecuted, sad, tired, depressed, sick, terrorized, bullied, at war? Who is with me? 
And is there a God who has anything to say about the situation that I, that you, that we find ourselves in? The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God does care. And all of the hardening that happens on our hearts and our souls as we slug our way through the hardships of life, all of that adds up to a moment where we can begin to soften our souls and rest our lives in the arms of a God who loves us and who wants to instruct us and guide us and who set people into scripture 2,000 years ago to give words to the communities then and to us now. So this is what we are going to endeavor to do together. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and he wrote what is considered a circular letter. You could not forward an email to 10 people. You couldn't write a group text or Snapchat or post something on Facebook if you wanted to get the word out about something that was significant. This is the era in history where even the papyrus to write on or the gift of literacy, the ability to write at all, was rare. And what would happen is the early church would write letters. Paul wrote letters to many churches, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians. These are all letters that he wrote to communities of people 2,000 years ago, just like us. And he would roll the scroll up and he would hand it to somebody, a messenger, a carrier, who would literally run that letter maybe hundreds of miles to the next church. And they would get it and they would read it and they would copy it so they could keep reading it and they could send it on. They could not go Xerox the thing or PDF it or take a screenshot of it. And we, t we even read about this uh, in the book of Colossians. Paul actually very specifically instructs them on who was to be the next recipient of the letter. He says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So they would swap these letters. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, it's reasonable to assume that the letter of Ephesians circulated widely within 100 miles of Ephesus. So there was a lot of passing on of information. Now all 66 books of the Bible are significant. They all tell us stories, they all contain theology, they all have something to teach us. Ephesians, however, has been noted historically as one of the most beautiful excerpts of biblical literature that we have. William Hendrickson uh, is a scholar who's researched Ephesians, and he's pulled these quotes from what other theologians and scholars have said about Ephesians. He says, Ephesians has been called the divinest composition of man, the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of the Christian faith, full to the brim with thoughts and doctrines, both sublime and momentous. Wow. That's a high note for this book. So we get to stand 2,000 years later and try to figure this thing out. My job this week is to basically set the scene for us and to share with you a little bit of the history and a little bit of the context of Ephesus. So I was a history major. My undergraduate degree is in history. So this is completely my thing. 
Some of you, this is not your thing, and you're thinking, oh, it's a history lesson. Take notes anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of good material here. And the reason we have to talk about it is because context matters. Who Paul was talking to at the time matters. And if we don't understand the context to which the letter was written, we will miss so much of what is true in the letter. And throughout history, Christians have made gross and grave errors because they have not understood the context. Some of the greatest atrocities in human history used to justify horrible atrocities, murders and slavery and all kinds of things have been because people have gotten the Bible out of context. When you get it wrong, when you don't understand the context, there is a situation on the other end of that that is instilling fear and terror in others. So we have to get the context right. We have to understand why Paul said what he said to the people then and how it applies to us now. Context is something that happens to us all the time, misunderstanding contexts, I should say. How many of you have ever had a conversation with someone where you didn't quite understand what they were saying because they were talking about a context that you didn't understand? Uh, my son Charlie is in the back. I, he gave me permission to tell the story. He's waving. He's my seventh grade buddy. And he got his first phone last year in sixth grade. And I heard the phone ring one afternoon. And I thought to myself, oh, he's a new phone owner. There's a phone ringing. I wonder who my middle school kid is going to be talking to on the phone. So I was paying attention. And then um, I heard running down the stairs, this thump, thump, thump of feet. And I heard him go, Mom! Mom! We just want a cruise! We totally just want a cruise! And I was like, what? The, the ship captain, he said we want a cruise. Have you ever got that phone call? The one that starts out with the ship horn, it's like, you know, it's like, this is your captain speaking. And he, he really legitimately thought we were on a cruise, and I, I was, his face was so, I, you were bummed, right? I, he was so bummed. He thought we were on a cruise. I had to explain him the context of that call. Here's the reality. Uh, there's probably some voicemail that was sent to you from the middle of nowhere, um, and you're going to get like one of these a day for the rest of your life. And the person who sent this to you wasn't really a ship's captain, and here's how telemarketing works. Understanding the context is everything. I mean, sometimes the Bible can be completely confusing. Like you think they're talking about a cruise, but really they're trying to get your money or vice versa or whatever it is. It can be stressful if we don't understand what is happening. So there's three things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the place of Ephesus. We're going to talk about the people of Ephesus. And we're going to talk about the purpose. Why, why did Paul even care? Why did he write this letter. He could have authored a letter to any number of communities throughout the ancient Near East. Why did he pick Ephesians and why did he say what he said to them? The first, we have to understand the place, the culture, the multiple cultures actually that were happening at that time. We all sit in a place and experience multiple cultures. Most of us in this room have an American passport, a U.S. passport. We experience the world. Our place is determined partially by the experience of being an American. And yes, there are many different ways to be an American. I get that. But that is one of the overarching themes. If you were to write a letter or talk about our place in history, you would have to reference what it's like to be an American. 
You all live in different towns. Your towns and your communities have different cultures. We are, most of us, Midwesterners. That has a culture. We understand January in a way that few other cultures do. The place is significant. And if we were to have a conversation with somebody and try to explain what it's like to be us, we would have to explain our culture, our context, our place. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman Empire at the time Paul writes this letter. It was the largest, most influential city at that time. It was a massive urban center. Scholar Mark Roberts suggests that we would be wise when we read the letters of Paul to remember that at this time, Christianity is mostly a significant urban movement. Ephesus is located on the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. It's a port city. We are done with the conversation in Scripture about Jesus of Nazareth in the backwoods, in the manger with Mary and Joseph in the stable. We have moved from that to the urban center where the free flow and exchange of goods and ideas was very real. Ideas would spread very quickly excited about trends and such, just like we would be excited in our time, this is the culture of Ephesus. One of the claims to fame for the Ephesians was that they were home to the temple of the goddess Artemis. Artemis um, was one of the gods in the Greco-Roman pantheon, and the temple was then one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I'm told if you go to Ephesus today, there's a pillar left of this temple. But for the uh, Ephesians, this was a big deal because people would come from all over the region to see their temple. And then as now, tourism meant a growing economy. Because if you came to the temple of Artemis and you needed to worship that god or goddess as your ancient religion told you, it was going to cost you something. You were going to have to buy items to sacrifice. There were people at this time in history that lived in slavery to the temples and the gods and goddesses of the culture. There was a widespread practice of magic. This was a very superstitious culture. So you can see the tension that Christians will bring to an economy like this. Then, as now, economics mattered. And if you made your money on worship of Artemis, and Paul shows up and says, look, that goddess, not real. And uh, by the way, worshiping Jesus is free. That would have been a problem. And so there's a growing tension among the people in Ephesus that this Christian community has started to sprout up and has started to have answers to the shell-hardening questions of human history, and it's done in a very different way than what their culture was used to. So this is the place. Second, we have to understand the people. Paul writes the letter. Paul calls himself in the letter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was not always a fan of Jesus. He was a devout Jewish man, grew up to become a Jewish leader, and was so frustrated with the spread of Christianity in the early church that he actually has Christian blood on his hands and saw to it that those who claimed the way of Jesus would lose their lives. And is actually on a campaign to take the life of Christians when he has this divine encounter with the Spirit of God, with God, and changes 
his perspective on Christianity and goes from being a violent persecutor of Christians to a leading champion and a writer of some of the words of scripture that we have today. Paul, after he became a man of faith, visited Ephesus. And when he showed up in Ephesus, he began teaching and the early church there was so excited about how well he taught, they said to him, hey, can you stay? Can you stay here and teach us? And we get this information from the book of Acts. He actually said, no, at first, I can't, but I promise I'll return. And so on what is called his second missionary journey, he returns to Ephesus and he spends three years there. Three years living in the homes of the people in that community, befriending them, going to their weddings, helping bury their dead, helping sort out what it means to be a Christian at their time. And so he writes this letter to people he loves, to his friends, to those he cares very deeply about. At the end of the letter, we actually get a glimpse of this relationship that they had. He sends a friend named Tysias to read and, de- or read and deliver the letter. When Paul sends the letter to the Ephesians, we have to ask ourselves, where, where was he? Why did he leave Ephesus? He left to continue to do the work of God, and he ended up in Rome, and he ended up arrested because of all the complications that come when people start preaching up the good news of Jesus. And he was on house arrest in Rome, So he wasn't actually behind bars, but he was actually physically chained to a Roman guard. And he was free to write letters and move about the marketplace in the community, but he couldn't leave Rome. And so he sends Tysias. And he says, Tysias, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything. Will tell you all about why I'm in Rome, what's happening to me, because you're my friends and you need to know. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. And I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, how we're doing in Rome, how those of us persecuted and struggling in Rome are doing, and so that he might encourage you. Paul is writing to his friends, inviting them to consider the words of Jesus in his absence. And last, he's writing with a very clear purpose. He isn't writing just to, you know, throw a few fancy ideas out there and see where they land. He has a very clear, passionate reason for writing. He is writing to the church. There are things that Paul writes that are to those who do not trust in God and believe in the faith. This is not one of those letters. He is writing to the church, and he's basically writing in a nutshell for them to be unified and united and to live well together. That is one of the main purposes of this letter, is to teach the church how to be the church. Saying to them, look, if we can't figure it out, if we can't figure out how to get along with one another, both in our own congregations and around the world, if we can't be people who practice grace and mercy and justice and truth, if we can't do that, if we are awful people, how Can we expect anybody to look at us and think, I want to go to church. I want to sign up for Jesus. I mean, most of us have had a conversation somewhere in our life where you say you go to church and someone goes, whoa. Because they've had a terrible encounter with a person of faith. Paul is writing to talk about this. And he's saying, oh, by the way, figure it out together. There is perhaps no greater witness 
No greater attraction to a fractured and broken world than a group of people who have figured out how to live well together, how to support one another when they struggle, how to pray for one another, how to ask one another how they're doing and actually mean it, how to sing praises and worship and honor God together. Paul is writing for this purpose. He says, look, there is no greater thing in the world than you being united together. And then he goes through this letter and he says, this is how you do it. This is what you need to know. And he begins to unpack the letter. The letter reads like a bunch of lists, almost bullet points if you were to format it today. How many of you have ever left your office or your place of employment and gone on vacation and left a list for your colleagues? While I'm gone, make sure this, this, and this happens. Or you're an educator, a teacher, and you know you're gonna be gone one day and you leave a sub-sheet, right? So the substitute knows. A couple weeks ago, my husband and I left town uh, for the weekend. I left a three-page document for my mother-in-law, his mom, who's a wonderful person who did great with our kids. I left her a three-page document, and then I had to go back in and edit it and resend it a couple times. And then I sent a couple texts about the list. And finally, she sent a text. She said, go be on vacation. <laughs> Stop texting me. This is a little bit of what Paul's doing. It's a list of things. He's in Rome, he's in prison, and when you're in prison in Rome, my guess, you don't know for sure if you're gonna get out. Was he gonna be released? Or was he gonna be further imprisoned? Was he gonna be tortured, abused? Would he lose his life? He eventually lost his life, exiled on an island, imprisoned. Was he anxious and eager to give them all they needed to know so that they could carry on the work of God if God chose to take him from this world. So this is what Paul is doing. He's unpacking a list of great and marvelous theology. And so if you would allow me, I'm going to read two excerpts from the letter to get us started. And we'll use our time today, or finish up our time with reading the actual words. Because what good is it if we talk about it but don't actually read it. So here's how he starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, the church, the people of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have read those words so many times. I'm like, oh, that's great. This is opening to the letter. Kind of cruise through. The fact that he says grace and peace is significant. And these are the fun things that we can uncover when we study scripture together. Grace to you was a very common greeting in the Greco-Roman world. It could have come through professional means or anything else, but grace to you was not uncommon. Peace to you, shalom, was not uncommon in the Jewish world. They were used to that greeting. But grace and peace together, that did not happen. That wasn't common vernacular. And Paul, by verse 2, is already weaving the ethos of unity into his letter. Because the world at this time in history is divided into male and female, slave and free, Jew and Greek, poor and rich, 
our dividing lines are pretty solid today and they're pretty exclusive. This is a time in history, if you can believe it or not, where the lines were drawn even sharper. And the Jewish community and the Greek community, they didn't mix, the Gentile community, they didn't mix. And Paul is saying, Jews and Gentiles, I'm addressing you both because both were in the church. Gentiles were people who had come to faith who were not from a Jewish background, but they had figured it out. And then there was a whole Jewish community who was leaving their Judaism and joining into Christianity. And they did not always get along. They had different political views. Shocker, that happened then too. They had different opinions on how church should work. Maybe they had contemporary worship and classic worship. I don't know. But they had their differences. And Paul is saying, grace and peace to you, all of you together. I'm addressing you all. And then he goes on, and we'll close with this. He says, um, in verses 1, 15 to 23. He says, for this reason, the reason is a, a prayer that comes before this that we're going to dive into in a couple um, weeks. But he says, for this reason, for the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus that I have just talked about, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. How much is that still our prayer today? I mean, that's why we're here. A spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope the great hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power, the power that God gives us to do right in this world, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. God placed all these things under the feet of Jesus, under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the inheritance we stand in, and this is what we're going to chase after together for the next six weeks and in our lives beyond. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for the grace and peace that you make available to us this day. Thank you for this letter and your wise and gracious words to us today through this group of people who lived in a different time in history but experienced so much of the same thing. So Lord, soften our souls Help us chip away at what is hard so that we might be found in you. In Jesus' name, everybody together said, amen. Well, friends, before the band um, shares with us a, a, a last song, uh, all throughout the building, you'll find uh, these postcards this weekend, and there will be one every week for the next six weeks. Uh, the fact that this letter circulated all over uh, the world, and we're the second city to receive it, third cities and fourth cities, we want to give you an opportunity to um, keep sharing the word. So if you want to give a word of grace and peace to somebody else this week, um, here's a little card with a scripture on it, and we invite you to write a note 
of unity and of grace and peace to another person and consider um, sending this off to them if you would.